0: Well, we already know who Jaden Daniels' favorite target was and probably is going to be coming into next season. The question is who's number two? I know a lot of people have a lot of ideas that have been thrown out there, and I have an idea, and I think it's completely different than anyone else has thrown out there. I'll get into that plus so much more on today's edition of Locked in LSU. You are Locked On LSU, your daily podcast on the LSU Tigers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, thanks for making Locked on LSU your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube as well, Locked in LSU. Like, comment, subscribe, all that fun stuff. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Caroline Fenton, and I am your host as I am every day. I appreciate you all for being here. You can follow me on Twitter at Fenton one Appreciate y'all for making Locked on LSU your first listen every day. Now, before we get into the wide receiver news of the day, I want to let y'all know that today's edition of Locked on LSU was brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. So I have some of my takes, my pre-season, pre-spring practice takes. We're getting down to just a couple of weeks before spring practice. So I want to address every week, you know, some of the question marks that I have surrounding this team, um, what I want to see in spring practice, and I want to get into that. But first, I think, you know, I want to address the news of the day. Something that we learned yesterday on Tuesday was that Malik Neighbors. Um, Of course, the LSU's leading receiver last year, he was arrested on Monday night in New Orleans. He was on Bourbon Street, and he was arrested for the illegal possession of a firearm. Um, he was on Bourbon in the French Quarter, and um, obviously, and police that were walking around the French Quarter saw a quote L shaped object, according to the police report, in Malik neighbor's pocket. They found it was a gun. He was arrested for illegal possession of the gun. Um, he was arrested, you know, eight ish, 8 o'clock at night on Monday. He was booked early Tuesday morning around two o'clock in the morning, uh, and then we learned that he had been released on his own recognizance, meaning he did not have to post bail. He left on Tuesday morning, um, just a few hours after he was booked. And I said yesterday, I was like, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know what's going to come from this. I wish I could say, you know, what's going to happen? Um, like, how does this affect the team? I don't know. Um, but the new news today is that all of the charges against Malik Neighbors have been dropped. Really, the only thing that he's been facing is that his gun was confiscated from him. Um, that was it. But all of the formal charges have been dropped. Um, what does that mean? moving forward, you know, I, I still don't know, you know, the arm of the law can only go so far, but that's not the only um, bit of accountability that, uh, that student athletes are facing. And we as humans in general face on a day-to-day basis, it's, you know, you don't just get punished by the law. So just because the charges are dropped, doesn't mean that there might not be punishment from uh, the, the football team punishment from Brian Kelly, Coming down the line, um, you know, this isn't, this isn't University of Alabama. Um, You cannot be involved in a crime and just get off easy, but that's a conversation for a different day. Um, So I don't know if there, if there will, if you will be facing suspension from the team or any sort of, um, you know, any sort of, I don't know the word I'm looking for here, but if there will be any repercussions as far as football is concerned, I said the absolute worst possible case scenario, um, at least as far as LSU football is concerned, you know, as long as Bleak neighbors is safe. And as long as, you know, all the legal proceedings are, are covered and all the T's are dotted and the I's are T's are crossed and I's are dotted. As long as he's safe, that's the most important thing. But you know, the most detrimental thing that would be to the football team is let's say he's suspended for a game and that is the first game of the season well, you're gonna need your number one receiver against a Florida State team that's looking pretty stacked going into the 2023 season. So that's in a very obvious way that Malik neighbors' dumb decisions hurt the team. Um, now that we know the legal side of things, now here's the the question of how will LSU football handle this? They may not handle it in any sort of way. They might just do it in-house, they may just have their own conversations with Malik neighbors. It may be, you know, publicly facing. Punishment of a suspension or maybe, you know, out of spring practice for a bit. I don't know how they're gonna handle it. Um, I think it's gonna kind of be, I hate to say interesting to see, but honestly, it is. Kind of see Malik Neighbors as a little bit of a guinea pig to see how Brian Kelly addresses some of the uh some of the legal issues like this. Um I doubt, unfortunately, I doubt this is going to be the last time that an LSU football player is facing some sort of something whether that be with the law, whether that be with the university, so on and so forth. You know, I I don't like saying that, but it's just the reality of the situation. It happens, you know, the things happen, Um, ish happens. So it'll be interesting to see how Brian Kelly addresses the neighbor's uh, situation moving forward. Um, Like I mentioned, just because he's not punished by the law doesn't mean he won't be punished by LSU football. Doesn't mean he will be punished by LSU football. It's just the question is, what's going to happen next On the football side of things, honestly, if I had to guess today, probably going to be nothing. It's probably going to be something that Brian Kelly and the rest of the coaching staff handle in-house. Just kind of a, why'd you do that? Don't be stupid. Don't make stupid decisions like that. We need you. You're part of this team kind of conversation. But I don't know. That's not my call to make. That's not my decision to make. So now that we know at least what's going to happen with Malik Neighbors on the legal side of things, aka nothing is going to happen with Malik Neighbors, even though the punishment or his state with LSU football is still kind of a question mark. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. Um, Now brings my next training camp question of who is number two. If Malik Neighbors is number one, who's number two? I want to get into that coming up next. But first, I want to let you all know about the FanDuel Sportsbook app. So the midway point of the NBA season is finally here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel. It's America's number one sportsbook. So new customers get a no-sweat-first bet up to $1. Thousand dollars. I mean, what's a better incentive to get involved in the FanDuel Sportsbook app? It's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win, so just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It is safe, it's secure, it is super easy to use, and then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores to threes drain. There's so many exclusive bets. Like, there's the two times three. Like, are there going to be two three-pointers scored in the first three minutes of the game? You can wager on that on any game that you'd like on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the years best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles Well, thanks for making Locked on LSU your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. But make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked on College Basketball. Everything that you need to know about college basketball all in one place. Plus, you can hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked on College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. So, assuming that Malik Neighbors is going to be your number one go-to guy, I think that's a fair assumption to make. Maybe you don't think so. I do. Things can change. Absolutely. Um, if somebody wants to step up and compete to be number one, by all means, step up to the plate. But who's number two to Millie Neighbors? As I, I think going to be one massive storyline that I'm going to follow throughout spring practice, throughout the summer, is who's taking first team reps, who really looks solid, who looks like they took a step forward this year, who maybe, you know, knock on wood, looks like they could have taken a step back last year. And all of this, of course, is subject to who's staying healthy. Obviously, that's not something that you can break. This is not something that you can control. Um, but looking at some of the returners, you know, you could, I think the, the most likely, honestly, the most likely candidate to be your number two guy, solidifying Malik Neighbors as your number one, is Brian Thomas. Last year, he had 31 receptions, 361 yards, and five touchdowns. I don't want to say that Brian Thomas had a breakout year. Because I say that Malik Neighbors had a breakout year. Because Malik Neighbors had over a 1,000 yards last year. That's a breakout year. A guy that went from muffing two puns against Florida State. A guy who wasn't really a household name in college football. Maybe wasn't even a household name amongst LSU fans. And now emerges as, you know, one of the most valuable assets offensively that LSU has in 2022. And also one of their most valuable assets returning in 2023. I'm not going to say that Brian Thomas, quote unquote, broke out last year, but he at least made it impossible to forget about him. At least for me, it made it impossible to ignore Brian Thomas and the the whole outlook of the 2023 season offensively. So is he is he poised for a breakout season this year? That's the question. Um, I thought he looked pretty good. I thought he got a, enough reps to be able to get some, you know, some time underneath them to get acclimated into this offense. Um, and that's one of the, the other great things that LSU is facing this season is that they're one of the very few teams in college football that's returning a starting quarterback and an offensive coordinator. So that's a, a great thing for all of the receivers in this class is they got a whole lot of continuity. They know the terminology. They know the expectations. They know the system. They know the play call, so on and so forth. That's another thing that makes me feel encouraged that it's going to be, you know, one of these veteran guys. And I use veteran very, you know, lightly, but some of the guys, the returners, um, that they could be the ones to take that next step to really have a breakout season and start to carry um, a larger responsibility for LSU this season. Uh, the second one that I think could, could be probable, but I would still put Brian Thomas as at least my front runner at this point right now. And of course I I haven't seen spring practice. I haven't seen what they look like. This is simply based off of last season's production um, is Kyron Lacey. You no, know, he's got three years of experience, two years at ULL, and then of course one at LSU. He had 24 receptions for 268 yards. I think that this last season for Kyron Lacey, he had a uh, not as robust of a season as probably a a third-year starter would have liked. And I think that's for two reasons. One, he was buried underneath LSU returners and LSU vets. Kayshawn Booty, Jack Besh, Malik Neighbors being one of them. And also, let's not forget that he transferred in last year. So it may have taken him a little bit of time to get acclimated. And I don't know the offense that they run um, at ULL. I, I really don't. But I would probably guess... That the terminology and the the tempo and the style of offense that LSU runs may be a a bit more complex than ULL, just considering, you know, the conference and the competition that LSU plays compared to ULL. Um, I don't know that for certain. I don't know the offense they run. I, I don't watch enough of Raging Cajun football to be able to say that for certain. Um, But I I wouldn't be surprised if you saw a lighter season from Kyron Lacey last year, just simply because he was getting himself acclimated. He was trying to prove himself in a room stacked full of wide receivers, wide receivers that have already been in LSU's wide receiver room, and also just learning the expectations um, of of being at LSU. So I also wouldn't be surprised to see Kyron Lacey break out a little bit, just given his experience. And at least what I view as a justification for maybe why Kyron Lacey didn't have the biggest season last year. is He just really honestly didn't get the opportunity. So Kyron Lacey, Brian Thomas, Chris Hilton is another one coming into his second season at LSU. He's not going to be one that I would look at to say, okay, that's my absolute front runner. But I think that he absolutely will be a, uh, a contributing factor this year on special teams and in more of your, you know, three wide receiver sets. And then here are, other, you know, your quote-unquote newcomers that I think could be a, a, contr- a contributing factor to this team this year. And absolutely, as we're looking ahead to spring practice, these are going to be guys that could make things a little bit uncomfortable for the returners. Guys who are maybe have a, a little bit more tread on the tires, and I mean that in the most respectfully possible. Um, just guys who have more experience. These guys can make things a little bit more interesting and a little bit more uncomfortable for them. And I think one being the most obvious is Aaron Anderson. He, of course, in 2022 class out in the car in New Orleans, went to Alabama, didn't get a whole lot of work at Alabama, sidelined with injury, buried beneath the depth chart. But he at least had a year within the system, had a year at Alabama. Um, but we know, we've seen what Aaron Anderson can do. We know the talent that he is. You know, we, if you followed high school recruiting in the state of Louisiana in the 2022 class, you wouldn't have been able to go probably a day without hearing Aaron Anderson's name. You know, he's got all the things that you can't coach. Um, he's got so much speed. He is so, so, so quick. So I, I do think for certain he is going to be um, an immediate role player uh, with special teams. I think Aaron Anderson can make things Interesting, he already has it. He's a newcomer, quote unquote, because he is coming in through the transfer portal. But he does already have a year of college football under his belt, and he does have those, you know, those quote unquote intangibles. He's got the size, he's got the speed. I think the second one that I'm really excited to see in spring practice to see get acclimated into college ball is Shelton Sampson, five star wide receiver at a Catholic high. Is he going to be ready in year one? You know, I think that it can be difficult sometimes, not always. And I'm not saying that this is Shelton Sampson. I think it can be difficult sometimes for a lot of college kids who have gotten so much hype and love and attention in high school, you know, there's articles written about them and they've got recruiters coming to their door saying how great they are and how badly they want them. Sometimes I do think it can be kind of a difficult transition to go to from, you know, really big fish in a teeny tiny pond to a teeny tiny fish in the biggest pond that they've ever experienced. I don't wish that upon any of these kids, and I'm not saying that that is going to be Shelton Samson, but that is going to be something that I'm looking for in this in the spring. Is how does Shelton Samson take to coaching? How does Shelton Samson take to being lower on the depth chart, but also grinding his way up to the top? Because I think that if we've learned anything about Brian Kelly and this coaching staff, it's that they don't really care how much experience you have. They don't really care if you're a freshman. They don't really care if you're a fifth-year senior. If you're going to give our team the best opportunity to win, you are going to start. We saw that with Mason Taylor. We saw that with Will Campbell. We saw that with Emory Jones. We saw that with so many, you know, impact players that were freshmen in 2022. Um, I wouldn't, you know, if Shelton Sampson does emerge as one of the best, if not the best receiver in this group. I'm not saying he's going to, but he sure has gotten a whole lot of hype. Um, And to be fair, I haven't watched much Catholic High football. I've seen his huddle. That's really the extent of it. Um, So I can't speak to the kind of player that Shelton Sampson is or what he's going to be at LSU. Um, But that's going to be one thing that I'm looking for is Shelton Sampson and the impact that he may or may not make year one. Um, So who I think is going to be Malik Neighbors, number two, to be completely frank with all of you, is not one of the single guys that I named there. Is not going to be a Kyron Lacey or a Brian Thomas or an Aaron Anderson or a Shelton Sampson or a Jalen Brown, the five star out of Miami, or a Landon Ibietta, who's going into his second year, a kid from Manville um, who struggled with an injury last year. I don't even think it's going to be a wide receiver, to be completely honest with you. I think if you're going to look at the number two threat in the passing game this year, I think it's going to be Mason Taylor, to be completely honest. And I combine that with a few reasons. We saw it this year it's not that crazy it's not that out of the ordinary we saw it this year too jaden daniels made leaps and bounds of progressions in his passing game of his comfort throwing of his comfort sitting back in the pocket and not just jetting off if his first read isn't there we saw a whole lot of maturity from jaden daniels so you know i would i absolutely do think that the deep ball is going to be more of his in his repertoire this year But the short dinks and dunks to the tight end, that was a big part of Jaden Daniels' game this past season. You're not just going to take that away. One, given Jaden Daniels' skill set. And two, given the reputation and what we know about Brian Kelly and Mike Denbrock. Those were two two guys that love the tight end position, maybe more than any other coach in college football. That's how LSU's offense, I thought, really operated at, at its best is when it was incredibly efficient with the dinks and dunks paired with the long balls and the deep shots. And of course, paired with the run game as well. But I thought that's, you know, LSU's offense could have been such a a slow kill at some points because they could dink and dunk four and five yards, you know, short passes to the tight end, short screens to the tight end or to the running back. Um, So really, honestly... I think Brian Thomas and Kyron Lacey and all of these wide receivers, they're going to be factors for LSU. But if I'm going to say who is going to be a number two, who's going to be your number two guy, not even a wide receiver. I think it's going to be Mason Taylor. And I also think that coming into year two, that's going to be so valuable for Mason Taylor. Because we didn't really see Mason Taylor break out until the second half of the season. In the first half of the season, I was thinking, gosh, can you please just start targeting Kayshawn Booty? And that wasn't an indictment on Mason Taylor, but really rather the play calling. But once we saw Mason Taylor get acclimated into that role, he was a huge impact player for this LSU offense. So I think combined with the style of offense that Brian Kelly and Mike Denbrock like to play with and Jaden Daniel's skill set and Mason Taylor's development from week to week last year and what I'm expecting him, uh, how I'm expecting him to improve from year over year into this season, your number two guy it's gonna be the tight end but that's just my take coming up next it is a mailbag Wednesday so we will get into your questions coming up next the NCAA tournament is almost here and listening to locked on college basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket so don't wait Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So it's a mailback Wednesday. Um, Thank you to everybody who sent in their questions. You can send them in via YouTube on the comment section below. You can send them in via Twitter, DM. You can tweet them at me at CarolineFenton1 or the show Twitter at LockedOnLSU. Um, but I appreciate everybody for sending in their questions. I, every week I try to get to as many as possible. I really do like to use that as kind of a, a motivation for the rest of the of the uh, the week of, you know, where you guys want to go in terms of topics, what you guys want to hear about. So I always appreciate that. First question comes in from Swamp Donkey on YouTube. And he asked, do you think that Brian Kelly could promote from within for uh, the next special teams coordinator? Of course, the uh, the news yesterday coming out, Brian Pullian has been uh, his – duties on the field have been allocated to a full-time role off the field. I highlighted what I think that's going to look like and why that move was made. I did that on yesterday's podcast. You can find that in preferred podcast platform and on YouTube. Um, But Brian Kelly moving into like a a general manager role. So he's going to be working in recruiting and scouting and NIL and, and the off the field, on the field issues. Like it's not necessarily coaching or schemes, but it's off the field moves and work that affect on the field play. I really don't know what they're going to do with special teams coordinator. Could they promote from within? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't know if there's anyone on staff that Brian Kelly looks to to be the, the successor. I do think the timing is a little bit interesting, um, that you've seen a lot of Coordinators already, want to get fired or to announce their next move. I mean, we've seen already so many moves within the SEC. Todd Munkin, Georgia's offensive coordinator, going back to the NFL, as well as Bill O'Brien, Alabama's offensive coordinator, as well as Pete Golding, Alabama's defensive coordinator, going to Ole Miss. So you've already seen a good bit of coordinator shakeup in the SEC and in college football as a whole. So it's interesting to me that this, this move came at the time that it did. Um, because I, I I mean, Brian Pullian deserved to be moved in a full-time off the field role at the end of last season. Like that, that was a move that seemed obvious to me and probably to you too, probably to Brian Kelly too. So why make the announcement now? Is there a guy, you know, has Brian Kelly been interviewing behind the scenes And he's finally, he found somebody that's better than Brian Pullian. And he's like, okay, now I'm ready to make this move. I'm ready to make this announcement. Um, Was there something that happened internally that motivated this move? I I don't know the answer to that. But to go back to Swamp Donkey's question, I don't know. I don't know if there's anybody on staff that Brian Kelly likes that maybe isn't as uh, a forward facing of a coach or a coordinator that he likes and has, has observed and has learned from other coaches in the past that he thinks could be a special teams coordinator. I don't know if Brian Kelly is going to go, you know, on a search elsewhere. I don't know if there is, you know, one of his buddies that he used to work with in the past that's either looking for work or could get a um a, a raise or a promotion, that's what I was looking for, by coming to LSU, that's going to be really interesting to see is what move Brian Kelly makes to fill in Brian Pullian's former role. I wish I had more of, a, of an insight or an answer to that. I just don't know who's inside that building that has enough insight, expertise, and experience to be able to adequately coordinate special teams because that's not what we had this past year. The other question that came out was asking just my, my my takeaways from the first weekend of baseball. Of course, LSU sweeping Western Michigan over the weekend. Um, totally just whooped that booty against Southern on Tuesday afternoon, but it was kind of a slow start. They were down four-nothing in the beginning of the game. But overall, my, my takeaways from the first baseball season is the pitching looks improved. Paul Skeens is probably the best pitcher in college baseball, maybe the second best pitcher only second to Chase Dolander at Tennessee. Um, But Paul Skeens recorded 12 strikeouts in six innings. He was an SEC Baseball Player of the Year. He was an NCAA Baseball Player of the Year, week. NCAA Baseball Player of the Week. So he's putting everyone on notice. Like Paul Skeens is the real deal. He is as advertised, at least in his first start. We saw um, Chase Shores on Sunday, a young guy who looks to maybe need a, a little bit more time refining his pitches, getting a little bit more of a command of the plate. I think we saw the same thing from Thatcher Hurd on Tuesday against Southern. Just didn't have a great command of the plate, um, you know, threw some kind of wonky pitches, and, and Southern took advantage of it. Offensively, again, like I mentioned, Southern went up 4 nothing to start um, to start that game. So I think that we saw some really bright spots. Uh, Christian Little was another very bright spot, another pickup that uh, Jay Johnson got in the transfer portal. Christian Little relieved Paul schemes on Friday night. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some of the starting pitching shake up. Maybe Chase Shores moves into a midweek role. Maybe Chase Shores moves into a a pure relief pitcher role. Christian Little may fit into one of those starting roles, but it's so early and there is so much that is going to change. Um, I think another thing that I, I noticed is that They got a a good bit of production from the young guys and they got a good bit of production from the guys that you expected to get production from. And that's a good thing that there was production um, diversified across the team and production diversified, you know, offensively and defensively. One thing that really bugged me about this team last year was there's so many dumb defensive mistakes and errors made. I didn't see that same kind of. Um, almost like surprised look that I felt like we got a lot last year where they're especially Jordan Thompson. I complained about him so much last year. I'm not going to carry that into this year. I'm not going to get him in trouble this year for something that he hasn't already done. But we didn't see those same, you know, kind of mishaps or errors. But again, it's only one weekend. And again, it was Western Michigan. You've got a gauntlet of an SEC schedule coming down the pipe. So moving forward, it's how can you – how can you situate your starting pitching rotation? How can you situate your lineup given, you know, Tommy White's status could be up in the air with a shoulder injury that he suffered on Friday night in the first inning against Western Michigan. So that's the the main thing that I'm looking to looking forward is how can you get this lineup and starting pitching rotation, get situated? Um, How can you figure out things offensively? LSU struggled a little bit offensively on Saturday against Western Michigan. So all of those just kind of, knock the rust off kind of things. Let's learn who we are and what we are as a team kind of things. But overall takeaways from the first weekend of LSU baseball is a lot of guys are as advertised and some guys just need a little bit of time. And I think that they have the time Now they're going on, they're heading to Round Rock this weekend um, in Houston, taking on Texas this weekend. It's going to be an early test. So that'll be fun to look at as well, is we can look at a weekend series against Western Michigan and only take so much out of it. What I want to see is you taking on some of the top talent in the country and some of the teams that you'll probably be competing against or with in a regional, a super regional, for a spot in Omaha, so on and so forth. But that's going to do it for me today. Thank you for making Locked on LSU your first listen today. For your second listen, check out our brand new podcast, Locked on College Basketball. The experts, Isaac Shade and Andy Patton, bring you everything that you need to know on and off the court. Plus, you can hear from big name experts, coaches, and players throughout the basketball landscape. Locked on College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked on Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music.